Welcome to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. We want to be a place where you can own your faith and take next steps in your relationship with Jesus. Maybe your next step is to seek out a community and join a movement group. Maybe it's supporting movement financially for the first time or using your gifts on a volunteer team. Whatever God is calling you to do, our prayer is that you will step out in faith and let Him lead you. For more information about your next step, please visit movementcolumbus.com. Well, here we go. Week one in our series called The Story. Thank you, Don, for teeing that right up. Uh, This series could probably not be coming at a better time where we look at the overarching narrative of the Bible and we say, what does that have to say to us about the way that our lives should be informed in hope and in joy and in purpose right now in this crazy pandemic, in the chaos of this world that never seems to end in the 24-hour news cycle. I hope that this message series is encouraging to you. And along with that, I'm excited to announce that this month in August, we're also going to be reading through the Gospels as a church, all four of them in one month. We have a reading plan that you can catch on our website, through our social media. Uh, We'll be posting what scriptures we are going to be reading together as a church every single day. And I just encourage you to do that because as we look at the overarching narrative of scripture, that will help us as we read those four gospels to understand the climax of the life and the ministry and the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ even better. And so uh, stories, let's talk about stories. We all love stories, whether it's reading Goodnight Moon to your children or uh, loving having it read to you when you were a kid or the stories that we tell our friends and family when we come back from a trip or the stories that we talk about with our college friends when we get back together reminiscing about the good old days or the stories that we hear over the radio or through the TV and Netflix and the dramas that we love or the murder mysteries that we love to read. Heck, even news is all about stories. They don't just tell us the facts about what happened, but they tell us a narrative. They captivate us with stories. Heck, even Crest Toothpaste has a story behind it, right? They don't just tell us, here's some toothpaste, it'll make your teeth better. They narrate a story that captivates our hearts so that we'd want to use that toothpaste to attract that next potential mate or to have a better life, right? And the reason that stories are so captivated in our lives is because we were created for stories. In fact, Stories are one of the primary ways that we understand and organize our world, the way that we understand our existence. And this is a really good thing when the stories are true and when they're informing our lives in the right way. But when stories are false or narratives are false, it can be a really bad thing and can only create an unstable foundation for the rest of our lives. In fact, all of our stories, Our lives are shaped by stories. I can only think of the stories that I've created in my own head about my own life. When I was 14, I couldn't wait to be 16 because I had this amazing story of what my life would look like when I had the freedom of being able to drive my own car. I remember the story that I created when I was going to go to college and what that life would look like or when I'd get married or have a kid or buy a house. You see, our lives are shaped and molded by the stories. But one thing that I'm sure that you can relate with me about is that each one of those mile markers in my story did not complete my story. I was still left with this deep longing, even after the house and the kid and the marriage and the college. 
a deep longing for something more. And the reason that we have that deep longing is that we were created for more. We were created to understand our lives in a grander story, a cosmic story, the story of God. And that's what this whole series is about when we move back and we understand our lives, our stories, which matter, but we understand them in the concept and the scope of the entire story that we see in the biblical narrative. And you know what's amazing about this story is that in the Bible it says that this story is so glorious that the angels long to gaze at it all the time. You know that movie that you watched as a kid over and over and over again. Think about that times a million. That's how the angels feel about how glorious this story is. And if we understand it too, hopefully we can get to that same space where every single day we are captivated by it as well. And so the four broad brushstrokes that we're gonna be going uh, uh, through, because honestly this whole series, every single message could be a series in and of itself, but the four broad brushstrokes that we're gonna be talking about in this series starts with creation and then reconciliation sorry just kidding that's the third week Uh, creation the fall reconciliation and then consummation and reconciliation is just a big theological word for the restoring of all things and uh, consummation is the completing of all things or the end of all things so this morning we're going to start in the beginning we're going to be opening up to genesis chapter one we're going to only read a few verses and i'm going to summarize the rest for us but open up to genesis chapter one this is what the writer of genesis tells us about the creation of the world in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth now the earth was formless and empty darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of god was hovering over the waters now i'm going to skip to the end of chapter one all the way down to verse 27, but what will happen in the next 25 verses or so, God speaks every little intricacy of creation into existence. And then we get to the crown jewel of creation in verse 27. And it says this, so that God created human beings in his image, in the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them And then he blessed those human beings and he said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and govern it, reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky and the animals that scurry along the ground. And then God said, look, I have given you human beings, every seed bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. And I've given every green plant as food for all the wild animals and the birds of the sky and the small animals that scurry along the ground. And everything that has life, I have given to you, God says. And this is what happened. And then God looked over all that he had made, even though he had said it was good, it was good, it was good. And he looked over all that he had made on the sixth day and he said it was very good. Very good. And evening passed and morning came, making it the sixth day. Now, of course, God rests on the seventh day, and that is the end of the beginning of the creation narrative. And my message this morning is really simple. And these are two truths that I think that we forget often. And number one is that God created for good. That God's creation is good at its core. And yes, it's broken now, but God created for good. And the second point, and these both encompass our big idea this morning, is that God created for God. God created for good, yes, but God also created for God. In the beginning, God, and 
Then God said, and then God created, and then God said that it was good. Over and over and over again, this is what the text tells us. He saw that it was good. He saw that it was good. Now, before we even get there, God is far more interested with declaring than explaining what had happened at the beginning of the world, right? We're so concerned at times with why God doesn't give us the how rather than why God gave us the what and why. And people bash God's word about this, but the Bible is very clear about exactly what it wants to communicate to its people. That creation came from God, and more specifically, that God's imagination created creation and spoke it into existence. And this is very common, right? Let's take that toothpaste example again. You know, when Crest is giving or showing you that toothpaste, They're far more concerned with telling you what and why rather than how. What? Crest toothpaste. Why? Because it will get rid of plaque and whiten your teeth. And that's all that you are concerned about. And if you want to dig a little bit deeper, you can flip the tube over and you can look at the ingredient list, but they certainly don't tell you how that toothpaste was created. And that doesn't bother you. But when we come to the Bible, so many people have issue with the fact that God doesn't uh, explain exactly how it all seem to come together. And yet he gives us exactly what we need. God's word does, as we flip over the tube of toothpaste, give us the ingredient list. In fact, the ingredient list is pretty phenomenal, if you ask me, because most philosophers, in fact, all philosophers, including atheistic philosophers, have come to the conclusion, and they all agree that there's only five ingredients needed for the origin of a certain substance. Only five ingredients. And those ingredients are time, force, action, space, and matter. Time, force, action, space, and matter. And what does God's word say in the very first words of the Bible? It says in the beginning, time, God, force, created, action, the heavens, space, and the earth matter. Boom. Just like that, God answers all that we need to know to not be distracted about the what and the why that God created and that he created it for good. So God creates and the Bible is also clear that creation is good. It is very good. So good, in fact, is creation that he repeats this refrain in verses 10, 12, 18, 21, 25, and even 31. God says that it was good. Now, this word good is a Hebrew word meaning uh, uh, that is the word tov. And tov means excellent or rich or valuable or right. And when we talk about something being good in our culture, we would say that something is good when that person or that thing lives up to the purpose that it was created for or the value that it fulfills. It's rich, it's valuable, it's right. If you were to say, my car is no good, it's probably because it's not functioning properly. It's not getting you properly from point A to point B. Or if you would say that that baseball player is not good, you would say that he isn't performing the way that he was designed to perform when he steps up to the plate or he throws that pitch. Or food is only good when all of the flavors come together to make something excellent or right for our palate. And when God creates, he creates the perfectly working engine, the 
all-star of all all-star baseball players, the perfect culinary masterpiece because everything is working in perfect harmony. There's no sin, there's no pain, no defects, no disease, no coronavirus, no racism, none of it. It's perfection. And this is good news because God creates and his creation's existence and goodness hints at a really important truth that we're, we end up forgetting sometimes. And that is that there is deep purpose in creation. I had a professor in college once say that creation implies intention. In other words, we never create anything as a human being unless there's an intention behind its creation. In the same way, that's what happens with God. But it blows my mind how many people actually don't believe that to be the case. They think that they just came here, but then their lives don't live as if that seems to be true. Because here's the deal, there's only two possible views on the origin of the world. Either it just happened by chance, it's all an accident, the, every hair on your head, every dolphin in the ocean, every leaf on every tree just happened, or else there is deep purpose and there is a cause behind it. And let me just explain to you what happens when we take that first view, that this just happens by chance. If all of this just happens by chance, then that means that there's no direction for creation, which means that there is no goal for creation, which means that there's no purpose for creation, which means that there is no meaning for creation. But if there is a cause, and if God created the world, then that means there is deep direction for creation. There is a deep sense of a goal for creation. There's a deep purpose in creation, which means that there's deep meaning in creation. So can I just encourage you this morning that you have deep meaning. And this world, even in its brokenness, has deep meaning and purpose nonetheless. But can I also ask you, if you don't believe that God is real, that which of these two scenarios seems to line up best with the way that you experience the world? Or let me even ask you this question. Why do we want to even make sense out of our experience? Why are our hearts so drawn to story? I would argue it's because we were created with purpose, with intention, with a goal in mind, with meaning behind everything we do. And the biblical narrative answers this meaning. It says that God created for good and God created for God. Now, of course, we live after the fall. Most things are broken. All things are broken in this world. But nonetheless, these two truths remain. If creation is good, then that means that creation should be protected. But it also means that creation should be enjoyed. First, creation should be protected. If you're a Christian, we need to uh, look at creation a little bit different than the world looks at creation. One of my favorite authors, G.K. Chesterton, once observed that nature is not our mother, but it is, she is our sister because we have a common father. Nature is not our mother. She is our sister because we have a common father. If that is the case, that nature was created and we are a part of nature and both were created by the perfect God of the universe, then it should be our job as human beings to look after our creation, to care for it, to love it, to protect it. But also, since God created creation and creation was created for good and creation was created for us to reign and to rule and subdue creation, then creation should also 
be enjoyed. I know too many people who think that God is some cosmic killjoy who just wants to take away all the good things in life. And Christianity is all about things that you can, can't do. But that's not what I see here because let's look at verse 28. It says that God blesses them and then he says, be fruitful and multiply. Um, that's sex, which if you ask me is a pretty awesome thing. And then he says, fill the earth and govern it, reign over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and all the animals that scurry along the ground. And then God said, look, humans, I've given you every seed bearing plant throughout the earth, all the fruit trees for your food. And I've given every green plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky and the small fish and the small animals that scurry along the ground. Everything that has life, I have given to you. That's what God's word says. And this just blows my mind when I begin to think of it because it means that every time I take a bite into that Chipotle burrito, that every flavor, the guacamole to the corn, to the rice and the beans, to that tender and juicy steak was all dreamt up by the mind of God. And he knew how each one of those flavors would intricately weave together for his glory and for my pleasure. Next time you go to the zoo, I want you to look at that polar bear or that monkey and think that God of the universe in his creative wisdom created that animal with a purpose to fit in the cosmic fabric of this world to give us joy and to bring him glory. When you take a sip of fine wine, I want you to think that God created the grapes to ferment in such a way that it would create that beautiful flavor that pairs so nicely with a nice halibut sandwich or salmon filet. When you have the ability to pick up your child that is bone of your bone, that is flesh of your flesh, I want you to think that God gave us children to fill the earth for our joy and for his glory. God created for good. But when we forget this second piece, a lot can go haywire. Not only did God create for good, but God created for God. Look at verse one. In the beginning, God. It is no accident that God is the subject of the first line of the first sentence in the entire Bible. In fact, this word God dominates the entire first chapter. I think it's about 35 times that Moses ends up saying this word. And if you look at any good story, you have a main character. And within four words of the first chapter, boom, there we have it, God. In the beginning, God. Then God said, then God created. Then God said that it was good. God is not a supporting actor in this role. He is the writer, he is the producer, the director, and the lead actor in the creation narrative. Now, I know this might seem patronizing to repeat this point over and over again, but we are so often prone to forget it. In fact, Romans eleven thirty six says that everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory forever. Amen. It's as if Paul is saying that In case you forgot, everything in the universe was created for the glory of God, period. 
Even when we see in verse 27 that God creates the crown jewel of his creation, humanity. Even humanity is made in the image and the likeness of God to reflect his glory, to show the world just how good God is. Now, this image-bearing idea that God would choose humanity to reflect and to bear his image is something that has hit me in a profound way recently. Three weeks ago, yesterday, my first child was born with my wife, Mallory. She did a great job. And it was the craziest experience of my life to watch my wife in the most intense and immense pain give birth to new life in this world. It's just crazy that that thing has my DNA and her DNA It's flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. And here is this little child that just came into the world. And I'm just looking at her and I'm like, I can't love anything more than I love this little girl right now. She hasn't done anything for me. She hasn't even said a word to me. And yet I love her. And I can only imagine how that is the same way that God looks at us when he creates us. And then my mind immediately went to all the years that are to come and how my deepest hope and longing as a father is that she would just want to be with me. She'd just want to lay her head on my chest. That she'd want to spend time with me. That she'd enjoy me. And then my mind went to all the things that I wanted to give her. That I just want to lavish my blessings on her. I want to give everything to this little girl. And as I held her, I just thought to myself, that I know that there's going to come a day where she's going to mistake my love through the blessings that I give her. In other words, even though I want to give her things, she's going to end up loving those things at times more than she loves me. And I think that this is natural for us as humanity. And Mark's going to talk about this when the fall happens next week, that we're so prone to take the blessings that God gives us and let those blessings and the good things in this life captivate our heart rather than the God of the universe that provided those things to us to captivate our hearts. If I provide for my daughter some new clothing, I would hope that she would love me for providing her with that clothing, not for my own sake, but just for enjoying what I was able to provide for her instead of letting her heart be captivated by new clothing. And in the same way, I think what happens with us in our relationship with God is that Romans 125 even says this, that we exchanged the truth of God for a lie and we worshiped and served created things rather than the creator. That our human disposition is to take the good gifts of the father and to make those things the central aim of our life. That we no longer worship God for who he is and who he is as creator, but we worship the created things. And see, it won't be just devastating for me when Rhema at times chooses to love passionately those things, maybe even more that she loves me because she loves those things, but because I'll know that there's something on the other side that is so much greater, so much more Fulfilling, And I think that's God's heart for us too, that when we worship the created things rather than the creator, that we're falling so short of the things that can really fulfill us. And that's what happens, right? This is the problem with God not 
creating for God, but when we think that God created simply for us, we make ourselves the center of the story. Or we make creation the center of the story. And we make God's perfect creation make a name for ourselves rather than make a name for God. We love to make our name for ourselves. God created you to love your kids, but if your kids become the center of the universe and your whole life rises and falls on their performance, not only will you crush them, but they will crush you when they fail you. God created you to love food. He created you to enjoy it, to relish in its goodness. But if you begin to worship food and when you have an emotional breakdown, your first inclination is go to a bowl of cereal rather than to go to the God of the universe. You've created that bowl of cereal or that food to be God of your comfort rather than the God of the universe. You were created to love sex. But if sex becomes the created thing that you worship, you will descend into deep perversion. You will destroy relationships in your life and maybe even find yourselves addicted to pornography. You were created to enjoy good gifts like alcohol. But if alcohol becomes an idol in which you use to numb the hurts of life rather than going to the God of the universe to heal those hurts in your life, then you have turned alcohol into an idol. Or if you make your spouse the God of your life. Not only will they fail you over and over again, but you will be devastated by how far short they fall of what your heart was designed to be fulfilled from. So what's the solution? What's the solution? The solution, I think, is this, and I think this is a really amazing metaphor for us to meditate on, that God was created to be the center of the universe and that all the other good things are to orbit around those things. So that when we take the house, we take our spouse, we take alcohol, we take sex, we take food, we take all the good things that God has created and we use those to worship and to praise God. That when my child does something amazing, I would praise God that he created all those intricacies in their personality and in their gifting that are just amazing. Or that when I buy that new house, I wouldn't use that house to make myself feel so much better about myself, but I would use that house to steward it for his glory and to serve his people. Or when I bite into that Chipotle burrito, that I would actually enjoy it far more because I know that he created all of these things so that I could enjoy them, so I could find pleasure in them. But the problem is that when we make good things that God created into the God things in our lives, we dishonor the name of God. We fall short of his glory. And not only that, but we defame him and we belittle him. And we cross God. And crossing God means that we need God's cross which is the climax of the story. And we're going to be talking about that more in length every single week. But in light of creation, I want to turn our attentions lastly to a passage in 1 John. 1 John, or not 1 John, but the beginning of John's gospel, chapter one, it says this, in the beginning was the word 
and the word was with God and the word was God and he was with God in the beginning through him all things were made without him nothing was made that has been made in him was life and that life was the light of all mankind the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it I'm going to give you the little trig translation because this is what it really means in the beginning was Jesus and Jesus was with God And Jesus was God. Jesus was with God in the beginning and through Jesus, all things were made. Without Jesus, nothing was made that has been made. And in Jesus was life and that life was the light of all mankind. The light of Jesus shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Do you know what will truly fulfill our hearts? God writes himself into the narrative. Can you believe this? Uh, One of my favorite philosophers once said that uh, when it was in relation to Shakespeare, that the only way that Shakespeare's characters could ever know Shakespeare was by writing Shakespeare into the play. And in the same way, the only way for us to truly know God is for him to write himself into our story. And in Christ, that's exactly what we see. Jesus was there in the beginning. Jesus was the one that created those flavors in that burrito. Jesus was the one that numbered every hair on your child's head. He's the one that knew your spouse before the foundations of the earth. He's the one that knew which car you would drive, how much gasoline you put in it. Every intricacy of your life was created by Jesus. And Jesus came to earth to solve that longing and deep heart problem. He became the light of the world, so that we would find fulfillment, not in creation, but in the creator. Jesus is the creator in the flesh. Jesus is a way to a personal relationship with God. He is the way to understand creation and the story in its broader context. Everything was made through him. Everything was made for him. And everything was made in him, which means that you were created by him and you were created for him. The story that we're building, the story of our own little, personal, tiny, minuscule lives, the Bible says will be gone in a vapor, will be nothing without Jesus, the creator of the universe, will be not complete without Jesus will not be healed apart from Jesus, will not be secure without Jesus. And one day we will all stand before the creator of the universe and he'll look at us and he'll say, I created you. I know every little intricacy about you. I know every hair on your head, every freckle on your face. I know the exact complexion of your skin. I know that scar that you have on your shin from soccer in sixth grade. I know everything about you. And he's going to look at us. And he's going to say, did you know me? Did you know me? And this morning you have an opportunity to start a relationship with the creator of the universe creator who created this world to be good. Mark's going to tell us how bad it's really gotten next week when we talk about the fall, but he created the world to be good and he created the world for you to know God. And then he wrote himself into the story 
through Jesus Christ. And as we read the Gospels of this church this month, I want you to be thinking about that. That when Jesus enters the scene in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that that is the creator of the universe writing himself into our story so that we can know God, love God, and as we say at Movement, be a movement of people finding their way back to him. Let's pray. Father, we worship you. You are so good to us. You created us for good, and you created us for God. I pray that you let these truths just deep down into our hearts, that we were made for more. We were made for so much more than we could ever imagine. And that more, that more is you. You are that more in our lives. So God, I just pray for movement, church, wherever we are dispersed across the city of Hilliard, that people would be encouraged by this series, that it would speak to them where they're at. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen and amen. Thanks for listening to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. We hope wherever you are, this message encourages you to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus. For more information about Movement Church, including attending a worship experience, getting connected, or to give online, please visit movementcolumbus.com.